Ariana, come on up here. Uh, everybody say, hey, Ariana. Let's give her a big hand. Um, when I... Uh, when I called her this week, um, they're one of our missions partners, and this is Missions Month, and you're going to have a whole month of guest speakers. It's really cool. Um, and you said something that was really cool. You said, uh, uh, now I, I need to make a disclaimer here. Um, I, I can't help myself. Uh, me and Will Gamble both, when we go, uh, we, we go in and out of a, a very awful attempt at Eng the English uh, accent, uh, the British accent. We speak English. It's just a different form of English altogether. Um, and don't even say it. Don't even say Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, we just can't help ourselves. We go in and out of it to the point in my last trip, I had to have a talk with myself going, you know, Jason, if they came over here and they tried to talk Southern, you would get really annoyed if you just did it all the time, you know? And so I had to really try to get myself. Uh, so at some point I may slip into a word or something. No, no, it's really bad, um, but it's fun. Uh, but nonetheless, um, she said, um, well, when I come to Nashville, you're my church. And, and uh, she's been here with her, her ministry uh, with Mercy. Multiplied Mercy UK has had their board meeting. So when we try to get her in here to speak, and so many of you uh, gave us so much great feedback from hearing you speak last time. And uh, Ariana's an anointed woman. Uh, she really is. Um, you look across the Bible and you see people like Deborah. You see people like Phoebe. Uh, you, you see different women that Jesus included in ministry. And it's just, um, it's, she is, an, uh, I've learned a lot from you. Uh, I really have. And, uh, and she's always there for us. And it's a true partnership uh, with Clearview that Mercy UK enjoys. But before we, um, before we do that, uh, I thought this morning as I was just uh, spending time with God, I, just, I want us to pray over you. Let me, let me tell you, um, the UK uh, was hit with the pandemic in ways that we just weren't. We, uh, as you've heard me say, they were truly on house arrest. Um, I mean, house prison. Uh, for a lot longer than we were and won't go into all that, but it was, it was way harder on their population, uh, maybe in some cases than, certainly than here in Franklin, but um, with what Mercy Multiply, Mercy UK does, Mercy Multiply is the American partner, with what Mercy UK does, their ministry to all the people that are imploding in their own souls and needing Christ, um, it, it's just weary work. It's hard work. And so, uh, Ariana, we want to pray over you. So I want to get some women, some of you ladies that uh, want to pray over her. Come on down here. And let's, uh, you can, if you just want to come and some of you women want to lay hands on our sister here, Ariana Walker. And, and um, we're going we're gonna to just pray and ask the Lord to, to move. Uh, yeah, if you come on up here. I don't mean however many you want to be. We're going we're gonna, to um, just pray favor over her. Um, yeah, let's, uh, church, let's just gather around. And, and, and as we pray over her, we're going to be ministering uh, and just her, to her staff. Um, you know, we, uh, the, the scriptures tell us in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. And it, it's a symbolic gesture, I think, of, of how the Lord's presence will follow. David knew it would follow him. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we, we pray right now over just Ariana, our sister. We ask that you give her the mind of Christ. You've already given her the mind of Christ. I pray that she finds different, even different recesses of the mind of Christ that she's never seen. Give her new dreams and visions, God. 
God, I, I pray that as she leads all the men and women of mercy and, and as they work with hundreds and even thousands of churches across Europe, God, that you, you will put a special anointing on them. God, I pray for Ariana's shoulders right now in Jesus' name, that on her shoulders there would be no burden that ought not be there. She doesn't have to figure it out. She doesn't have to have all the answers. None of the staff do. None of them. None of the men and women at Mercy have to figure it all out. Their sustenance and their sustaining power comes from you completely. The revenue stream comes from you. The contributions come from you. All the things that they have. You, you, you can do far and above more than we could ask or imagine is what the scriptures say. So I pray, but on her as a leader, as her country, and as all the churches that, that come to mercy for help, as they have all these unique challenges, I pray that there would be no pressure in the name of Jesus, there would be no pressure in Jesus' name that, that this shouldn't even be there. They, they are messengers. They're not, you're the redeemer. They're just the messengers. God, I pray that you would, today as she goes in to speak to our people from the word of God, I pray that. Uh, you would give us hearts to receive and understand. God, I thank you for the anointing that she has on her life. And we're very privileged to get to work with this organization to share the gospel. And I pray that today that she'll just feel loved and relieved. To just, I, in fact, I pray that, that God, that she would definitely know, not just know, but feel. She's among friends and family. In the name of Jesus, amen. Wow. So that's what it feels like to be part of the body of Christ. I'm your English sister, and it's uh, nice to have my flag flying behind me. I'm very proud. And, and honestly, we so appreciate and feel your support. Um, I know maybe all of you might not get a chance to come and visit, although you are all invited. Um, but those of you who have visited, I know it's been such a great opportunity for us to build relationship and get to know each other. And we're coming up with all sorts of ideas, by the way, between us, with some of the team that came over to visit recently, uh, about how we can get everybody more involved. So stay tuned for some exciting things coming up. Um, I'm really glad I found you all, about y'all, by the way, uh, because... Nobody told me that you're meeting in this building now, so I was faithfully waiting on the other side thinking, well, a little bit worried that I may have missed the rapture. Because <laughs> I'm like, there really is nobody in this room. Uh, so, or else it's the wrong day, which jet lag could also mean that was also a possibility. Um, so uh, shall we pray just for a moment? I want to just dedicate this time to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity to open your word. Thank you that your word is living. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts right through to the heart of the matter. Lord, I pray right now as we open your word that your presence would be here, that you would speak into the hearts that it would be seeds sown that would 
bear great fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, we're going to go straight into scripture. No better way to start, right? So we're going to look at John 16, verse 33, and I'm going to um, read it from the Passion Translation, and it is up on the screen for you, um, because I was remarkably prepared, although I say that, but really it was only the day before yesterday. Um, Everything I've taught you, this is Jesus speaking, is so that the peace which is in me will be in you, and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. It's not my favorite scripture, I have to be honest. It's not a scripture where I rejoice and think, great, Jesus has promised me, wait, what? He's promised me what? Oh, trouble and sorrow, difficulties, suffering, challenges, adversity. That's not the kind of thing that I was hoping Jesus might promise me, but he has. He has said, you will. It wasn't a new might. It's not a, there's a possible chance that maybe if you, if you don't behave properly, there could be bad things happen. No, bad things happen to good people. We will have trouble. We will have suffering. Anyone in here right now having a tough time? I know I am. There's some things going on in my world. There are some financial challenges. There are, oh, there's political challenges. We had a prime minister in power for 44 days. There's some social challenges. There's relational challenges, cultural. There are so many challenges that we face in our lives. You know, when uh, Pastor Jason referenced it, when we had the pandemic, when it was lockdown, it was lockdown. We weren't allowed to meet together as a church in rooms like this. We were, uh, churches were closed. We were meeting, well, we weren't meeting anyone. We're just in our homes. And it was during that time that it became so clear to me that the power of what we believe The power of our relationship with Jesus, not the religion. When all the kind of, when all the structure is removed, when the meeting together in a room like this, when there's no band to lead worship, when there's no preacher telling you to open your Bible, when there's no, none of the mechanics, when there's no friend to meet up with and have coffee with afterwards, when all of that is taken away, you kind of really realize that the power of what we believe is far less important inside this room than it is outside of the room. What happens out there and, and, and what we believe out there far outweighs what we believe and say amen to inside here. And I do think for a lot of people, certainly in my country, it was a huge wake-up call a huge realization that maybe, just maybe, we'd become really reliant on the religion and the ritual and the structures of our faith instead of actually the relationship of our faith, of who Jesus is and who we say he is when we are in times of trouble and when all the other things and the the, um, scaffolding is taken away. I want to talk about a story in the Bible, it's, we're going to go Old Testament today, um, because though Jesus did say, yes, you will have trouble and you will have suffering and there's going to be challenges and difficulties, he didn't just abandon us to that. He didn't just say, so I'll see you later, I'll see you on the other side. No, 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 he's like, no, I have conquered the world 
And so many scriptures talk about his presence with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is, will never leave us and never forsake us. So he didn't just say, hey, heads up, it's going to be tough. He also said, but I'm with you. I've already gone before you. I've got you. And so I want to look at a story in the Bible, and it's uh, found in Daniel. It centers around three young men called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I really wish their names were Jake. John and Josh, so I could just say them really quickly. But no, we're with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm going to be saying those names a lot, so pray for me. Um, And just to set the scene for for those of you who may not be familiar with the story, um, these three young men find themselves in, in a place that is not their world. It's not their culture. It is... Um ruled by a tyrant king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who really is very symbolic of tyranny, of fear, of coercion and control, of a power that wants us to bow our knee to it, which is exactly what he wanted them to do. He built an idol and of himself and he demanded and commanded that all would bow before him. And these three men who are godly men, they choose to refuse the king's command. They choose to stay on their feet. They choose not to bow their knee to the rule of the culture, to the tyranny of the fear and anxiety. And I don't know about you, but there is an increase amount post-pandemic of anxiety, of fear, of a a lack of, of stability. People feel very uncertain all around them. And fear wants us to bow our knee to it. And we're going to look at this story because there's some thoughts I want to share and some lessons I feel we can learn for our own personal lives uh, in this story and how they respond to the king. Well, I'm going to pick it up in Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace which is the punishment for those who refused to bow their knee. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. You know what? Their response to the crisis that they were facing was not dependent on whether God would remove the circumstance from them. That's huge. That's, it wasn't God's going to take away the fire, so we're going to be okay. It's we think he will, we know he's able to, but even if he does not. You know, our worship of God, they, they modeled that worship is not dependent on circumstance. It's never dependent on circumstance. Worship is never looking around and going, oh, there's some great things happening in my life. I think I can worship God for that. No, 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 no. Worship is all about who he is. Worship lifts our eyes from the things around us and the the world we're facing, the challenges and the the fires, the furnaces that are kind of potentially where we're going to find ourselves. And worship asks us to lift our eyes and to magnify him. And not magnify what's around us. I read this story many years ago and it had such a profound impact on me that I tell it at every opportunity I can. 
It was a story of a, a young couple who had a baby and she was around 13 months old and was, got very, very sick. And they rushed her to the hospital and they diagnosed meningitis and she was hanging on by a thread. The doctors weren't able, as far as they knew, to do anything other than what they'd already done and she was at death's door. And this couple, they prayed and they called in their leaders and they anointed her with oil and they worshipped and they declared health over her and they prayed for a miracle. And by the morning, there was no sign of meningitis in the little girl's body. The doctors didn't have an answer to it. They couldn't, there was no science that could explain it. And so on their way home in the car with their baby daughter in the back, Their hearts overflowed with worship and thankfulness and and praise to the God who'd rescued their daughter. But as they were doing that, the father felt, he, he, he just felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, would you still worship me if she'd have died? That's a sobering thought. Would you still worship? Would you still stand on your feet? Even if you are thrown in the fire. You know, fear will often have us think, what if? I'm pretty sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, between verse 17 and 18, thought, what if? Because they make this great declaration. You know, he's able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. Pause, verse 18. I think that's the moment that they had, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come through? What if we heard him wrong? What if, what if we fail? What, that's the what ifs that most of us face on a daily basis. What if I fail? What if I get it wrong? What if God doesn't come through? What if I misheard? What if they leave me? What if, what if, what if, what if is fear? What if is what our is the voice of fear. What if will keep us trapped? What if, what if, what if? I think they had a what if moment because they made that great declaration of faith. What if though? And they turned it immediately into even if. Even if. What if I fail? Well, he is. Even if I fail. He is my strength. What if I don't get healed? Even if I don't get healed, he is my savior. Even if I fail, I know he won't fail me. Even if they leave me, he never leaves me. Even if. Turn the what if of fear into an even if of faith. I'd love to tell you that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did this, when they were obedient, that it all turned out all right and the fire somehow disappeared. But no, in verse 19, we read that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Okay, anyone else had that experience? You're doing all the right things. You've prayed, you've read your Bible, you've got your leaders together, you've been anointed with oil, and, and you're like, okay, we're all set, we're, doing, we've, we're, we're ready. 
and then the fire gets seven times hotter. Really? Well, that's their experience. And so the king commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You know, the fires that we face in life are real. So let's be real about the fires we face. This wasn't a fake fire. This wasn't a supernatural. This wasn't an analogy. This, wasn't, this, this was a real fire. It killed the men who were commanded to throw them into it. It killed them. This is seven times hotter than it's supposed to be. So this is a real fire. And we need to be creating a culture in church where we realize that fires happen. Maybe you are facing a fire right now. Maybe you're in a fire right now. Maybe there's a fire of unemployment or a difficult relationship at work or a divorce or a diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or a million other things that are fires for us, things that cause us to feel bound up. We need to be creating a place where we can be real about the fires we're facing instead of trying to pretend that we're not burning up. You know, I've told this story. I think, in fact, I told it last time I was here, but I'll tell it again because I I love it and uh, because it, it helped me and I hope it helps you. You know, when I um, had an, a ski accident back in February 2019, um, I, I was skiing. I've skied for 15 years, um, never, barely, barely even touched the snow. Because snow, as far as I'm concerned, is there for me to get from A to B as fast as possible. I don't like to touch it. That's why I'm not a snowboarder. Even though my family all are, they just sit in the snow the whole time. And uh, for me, I'm just like, I don't like... So I don't fall over. I make it my business to not fall over. This particular time coming down the slope, and I don't know what happened, but I fell, and as I fell, I heard a pop in my knee. Never a good thing to hear a pop in your knee. And, but it didn't hurt too much, and immediately, because I never fall over, my, my sons and my husband and my brother-in-law, who were all with me, they're rushing towards my aid. Are you okay? Oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? I'm fine. Which is the, the standard Christian Sunday morning response, by the way. I'm fine. Back off. Leave me alone. I don't need your help. I don't want to show weakness or fear or failure or any, any need at all. I'm fine. I do, I do this all the time. I, I can ski. I'm all right. So I'm backing everybody away. Leave me alone. I'm all right. And I get back up on my skis. And then I carry on and do my next turn, at which point the pain is so excruciating, I want to throw up, so I sit down and realize I am not fine. And so I had the awful, undignified experience of being rescued off the side of the mountain on a stretcher, backwards, uh, being strapped on there, and having everybody ski past me and look at me with the equal amount of pity and relief 
which is the same expression I used for 15 years when I saw people being stretched off the mountain, which is 50%, you know, I, I'm so sorry for you, and 50%, I'm so glad it's not me. And here it was me this time. And as I was being stretched off the mountain, I felt God say to me, isn't it interesting how rescue didn't come until you said you weren't okay? And for some of you today, you need to hear that. Because the fire you are in right now is really hot. And it's real. And it has real consequences. It has real implications. And you need to have the courage to say, I'm not okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire bound up. When we're in fires, when we're in challenges and adversities and difficult situations, we can feel completely and utterly bound. It can completely dominate. Like when I was on that stretcher, all I could see was what was right in front of me because I was laid down and bound up. And that's what happens to us when we're facing tough times. We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel trapped. We can feel lost. We can feel totally unable to move around. It's that feeling of waking up in the morning and for a split second forgetting what you're facing and then it comes crashing in on you and you remember, this is real. I am really going through this. I'm really facing this. That's what it feels like when we're in a fire. But God has an answer to it. Like I said, he doesn't abandon us to it. It's the fear and it's the situation and the circumstance that would have us be bound up and have us feel isolated and alone and without support. But in Daniel 3 verse 24, this happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see Four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us in the fire. This is what happens when God is in the fire with you. Everything that he is, Everything that he has, all of his grace, all of his strength, all of his power, all of his provision, all of his, all of his wisdom, all of his energy, everything that God is and has is made available to us when he stands beside us. So he hasn't promised us freedom from the fire, but he's promised us freedom in the fire. Their hands were unbound and they walked around in something that should have killed them in a second, in something that should have kept them bound, in something that was meant to kill them. God was with them and because he was with them, they found freedom in it. Was it a fake fire? No. 
You see, when God is with you in the circumstances that you face, what should kill you doesn't kill you. What should keep you down and depressed and unable to move doesn't when you have his peace that surpasses all understanding. What that means is you're in a situation that you should not have peace in. It doesn't make sense to have peace when you're facing what you're facing. And yet when Jesus stands next to you, you can walk around. You see, they were walking around. They were hanging, chilling in the fire with Jesus. They were walking. They were moving. There's something about who he is in the darkest of times, in the hardest of times, there's some relationship and connection we find in him and with him that is so incredibly unique. Doesn't make sense to have peace. That's why it's called peace beyond our understanding. His comfort will soothe the pain of grief and loss. When he's with us in the fire, the natural effects of the circumstance are supernaturally changed by who he is. Your joy, his joy becomes your strength. His wisdom clears confusion out of the way. The Lord is with you. And I'm here to tell you today, it is enough. I know that that voice inside you is saying, but I don't feel like he's there. I feel alone. I feel disconnected. He is with you. He is Emmanuel. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to, I'm going to do something that I call scripture blast. It's just so that it's not just from one little place. I'm going to go to Psalm 23, verse 3. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Isaiah 41 verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. There is nothing there about taking a fire away. There's nothing there about it not being a dark time. There's nothing there about it not being difficult or challenging or hurtful or sorrowful. But it's all about do not fear, Take courage. He is with you. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, the disciples were terrified. They were facing a certain death. Everything that they thought Jesus was and all the hopes that they had in him were shattered. They had completely misunderstood what was going to happen. They were disappointed, they were disturbed, they were in despair, they were literally in a fire. And what does Jesus do? Jesus came, I mean literally through the wall, because the doors were all locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Because he doesn't just give you peace, he didn't say, here is peace. No, he said, peace be with you, why? Because he's in the room. He is peace. He doesn't just give you joy. He is joy. He doesn't just give you wisdom. He is wisdom. He doesn't just heal you. He is healing. He doesn't give you freedom. He is freedom. He is all of those things. So when he is with you, you have access to all of those things. 
I think one of the most important things about the fires that we face is understanding that though they can be called fiery furnaces, a furnace, something that is meant to harm you, kill you, take you out, keep you down, we actually have an opportunity to turn the fiery furnace into a beacon of hope. Let me describe to you the two different definitions of those words. A furnace, I think I've got it on the screen somewhere, is a place or time of punishment, affliction, or great trial, severe experience, or discipline. Well, the enemy meant as a furnace, a time of affliction, a time of great trial, of severe experience or discipline, what is meant to be something that takes you out, can be turned into a beacon. And this is the definition of a beacon. A bright light or fire that shines in the dark and is used as a signal to warn people against danger or to show them the way somewhere. Someone or something that encourages people and gives them a good example to follow. What? You know that is exactly what happened to the fiery furnace in Daniel. Because we see in verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. I'm just going to go past that really quickly. And the houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. So he's obviously still got a ways to go as the king in his salvation journey. (laughs) But it was a beacon. It became a beacon. It became something that turned the eyes of a tyrant king to the king of kings. Something that caught the attention of those who had no idea how it could ever be possible to survive such a thing. I have to tell you, church, this is our call as the people of God. Not that we would live perfect lives. Not that we would not experience difficulties or challenges or suffering. We are human. We are imperfect people in an imperfect world, living imperfect lives, but serving a perfect God. And that changes everything. You don't have to be thankful for the situation, but you can be thankful in it. It's what the Bible says. We should be thankful in every circumstance. God is with you. And our community, our neighbors, those who do not know God, who are also in fires, who are also struggling, who are also suffering, who are also finding life difficult. They're looking around and going, is there a beacon anywhere? And when they see that you too are in a fire, but you don't smell like fire, you don't sound like fire, you don't look like you're on fire, 
and yet you are in the fire. That catches people's attention. What is it about your situation that is different to mine? We are both facing a fire, and yet I think I see an extra person who is with you. Because that doesn't just come from your own ability. It's what turns people's eyes from the tyranny and the fear to the hope that there is someone, Emmanuel, God with us, who is real and whose power turns our furnaces into beacons. I wonder if we can all stand together. I want to close with this scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 5 and it's from the message version. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to pray. Because I don't think, in fact I know that I can't share the message I just shared and not give an opportunity for some of you in this room to reconnect to Emmanuel. And to look around your fire and realize you're not on your own in it. In 2 Corinthians it says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah. Father of all mercy. God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that, when we, so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.